0: Well, we've been talking about the series Kingdom Come, and today is our closing uh, sermon or ser- closing lesson in Kingdom Come, and I just, I encourage you to take some notes. If you're a note taker and your service guide, there's an opportunity to do so, and I always encourage you to take notes. It helps us to retain what we've learned. It helps us to retain what we've heard. We've been talking about the words of Christ as he teaches us to pray Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And for most of us, we've, we've said these words, but it really hasn't impacted us the, the breadth, the depth of what those words mean. And, and here, truthfully, in this series, we've only gotten to the first few sentences in the prayer, haven't even gotten further in the prayer, but, but we're trying to encapsulate what he's talking about with thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In essence, we're asking for his kingdom to be as impacting on earth as it is in heaven now we've seen that the kingdom of heaven is built on unity so if the kingdom of heaven is built on unity then the number one goal of the enemy is to create division in the church the number one goal because if the kingdom of heaven expands and is is duplicated and is moved forward by unity in the body of christ then the enemy doesn't want that to happen and so he's going to do anything and everything he can to cause disunity to be the reality in the church. Not just in the church, in every, in every group of people that is trying to push forward the kingdom of God in their life, in their family, in their business. Disunity will always be the pull of the enemy in your life. Because if unity... If unity is what builds the kingdom of God, and you and I are the ambassadors and embassies of Christ here on earth, then if the enemy can cause disunity to, to occur, then he call, causes a governmental breakdown for the kingdom of heaven on earth. We are the government of heaven here on earth. And so ultimately, confusion is the outcome, and fewer souls saved is the result and no kingdom no kingdom can achieve its goals while fighting themselves no kingdom and and the easiest possible targets are the moments when decisions have to be made when a decision has to be made it's an easy thing for us to either build unity or create division Christy and I had an opportunity to, to prove that just this week. Yesterday, we, along with 30 billion other people, were at Costco. <laughs> that, that number is, is uh, approximate. I'm, I didn't count them, but there was a lot. And, and, and I, was, I was walking, we, we, we hadn't been to Costco in a while, so we were, go- we were going down every single aisle, and they all had treasures that had to be in our basket. And so I'm pushing this basket that now weighs 27,000 pounds and we're going along and we came out of the, the area that sells like the, the vitamins and uh, the pharmaceuticals and all that kind of stuff and we're coming out of there and if you know Costco at all then you know that if I take a right I'm at the registers and beyond the res- registers are the doors. And I have a vision in my mind already, because we've been there for four and a half thousand hours, and and, and I have a vision in my mind that I'm going to hear that person say, did you find everything okay? And then I can can see, I can see the pink line being drawn down my receipt, and the individual saying, have a nice day. And I'm going to politely respond, you as well. And then I'm going to walk out to my truck, and for the next four and a half hours, I'm going to load it. And then I'm going to go home. And I can see all of this in my mind. It's all very clear. And so I begin to turn the ship to the right. And Christy, walking right in front of me, looks back at me and says, Hey, I want to go walk down the blanket aisle. Now, I don't know where the blanket aisle is. But I know it's not between me and that register right there. And I know that if we go down that blanket aisle, I have no idea what could come of that moment. And so she's going to go left and I'm going to go right. And we have an opportunity for unity or division. We have an opportunity to to come together as a family or to split apart and go our own ways. And so we operated in unity. And I pushed that cart down that blanket aisle (laughs) with just joy and happiness in my heart enjoying every moment of it we felt how fuzzy every blanket anyway it was marvelous moments of decision making always have the opportunity to create unity or disunity and the early church experienced that sometimes we think that of the early church as being this this such a marvelous group of people that they never had a problem but if you read the new testament it is just one problem after another they're trying to figure out how to live life together and do life together and, and work as a, as a unit, individuals, but all one in Christ Jesus. And they're trying to figure it out and, and, and we're trying to figure it out. And so in Acts chapter 15, the early church gives us a really good example of what it means to make good decisions and how to make good decisions within the context of the kingdom of God. They refuse to allow differences on direction and intention or interpretation of meanings to divide them. And they chose unity instead. In fact, this is really a story about diversity. Because if you look at the context of Acts chapter 15, you have a situation where the Jews are the first ones to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter preaches it to them on the day of Pentecost and it begins to spread through the Jewish believers and and the Jewish community and they become believers in Christ Jesus. And it's a wonderful and beautiful thing. But then Peter has the vision from God and and he ends up going to Cornelius' house and preaches the first time to the Gentile believers. And then Paul is called to minister to the Gentile believers and and suddenly all of these Gentiles start becoming part of the church. The problem is is that the Jewish believers all began their their walk in Christ from the perspective and the vantage point and the, the stage, if you will, of Jewish faith. And so they were following the Mosaic law. They were doing what they were supposed to do. They were circumcised before the eighth day. They were operating according to the laws of the Old Testament and the laws of Moses and the laws of their culture. And it was a beautiful thing. But now these Gentiles are coming into the kingdom of God and they're believing on Christ Jesus. They're being saved. It's an awesome experience for the Gentiles. And some of the Jews are even kind of happy that it's going on. But there's another problem with it. And that's they're like, they're saying, well, wait a minute. Do they need to come through the same door that we came through? So shouldn't they go ahead and follow the law of Moses too? And, and shouldn't they be circumcised like, we're being circum- like we were circumcised? And, and shouldn't they do everything like we've done it? And this is, a, this is an issue within the church. It becomes such a contentious thing and such a controversy that finally the elders in Jerusalem are called together and a council is created and they say, we're going to make a decision on this once and for all. And so they do. They get together and Paul and Barnabas are there and, and they're, they're talking about it all. And, and finally they come to a consensus. The elders of the church come to a consensus. They write a letter and then they send Barnabas and Paul to Antioch along with members of the council to share with the church there what they've the decision that they've come to and we're going to pick up reading their letter in acts chapter 15 verse number 24 the scripture reads since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words unsettling your souls saying you must be circumcised and keep the law that would be an unsettling thing to hear to whom we gave no such commandment so we as the elders of the church, we didn't tell them to tell you that, but they, they've told you that, and it's unsettled you. Verse 25, it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same things by word of mouth. So the elders are saying, we're sending Barnabas and Paul along with some elders with this letter to give you an official word on what we're saying about what needs to happen here. And then we're going to send some other guys, Judas and Silas, and they're going to travel around and they're going to give the same word. They're just going to do it by word of mouth versus a written document. Verse 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. That you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these things, you will do well. Farewell. And they close the letter. We pick it up in verse 33. And after those traveling with the letter had stayed there for a time, they were sent back to Jerusalem with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas... To remain there. I want us to recognize the three times that a a phrase is repeated in this passage of scripture. Three times it says, it seemed good to. In verse number 25, it says it seemed good to us. In verse number 28, it says it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. In verse number 34, it says it seemed good to Silas. Now notice in none of these none of these statements does it say anything about the decision that's being made being a bad decision they are different decisions but they're not bad decisions and our big idea today is this healthy decision making promotes unity reflects christ and models god's kingdom So when people in the world, and by that I mean non-believers, look at the church, they should see healthy decisions being made that promote unity, reflect Christ, and model God's kingdom. But how often is it that that is not the case? The church of Jesus Christ, by and large, is not known for its love for one another. Am I wrong? No. Because people are involved. So how do you make healthy decisions that promote unity, reflect Christ? How do do you make decisions that reflect the kingdom of God, model God's kingdom in operation? Well, I have three thoughts for us today. And thought number one is this, that in this passage of Scripture, every decision is not made by everyone. We see three levels of decision-making here. Three levels. The first is organizational decision-making. It seemed good to us. Now, who's the us involved? It's the Council of Elders. It's, It's those in Jerusalem that are set up, that are put into that place of authority within the context of the church. It seemed good to us to make these decisions. What decisions were they making? They were making the decision on how to how to determine the destination of the church, the character of the church, the methods that the church would use, the techniques and and style of the church and of that organization. But when we talk about an organization, we're not just talking about the church. An organization can be a kingdom, it can it can be a business, it can be a, a nation, it can be a family. Each of these represent an organization. So it's right for a business leader to say to employees, it seemed right to us to do a certain thing. It's right for parents to say to their children, it seemed right to us to do a certain thing. The kids may say, well, it doesn't seem right to us. (laughs) And that's okay too, but in this organization, this is the direction that we're going. That's what they're saying here, an organizational decision the second is a divine decision it says it seemed good to us and to the holy it seemed good to the holy spirit rather and to us now in this they were saying how that what the gentiles had to do in order to live holy this wasn't a decision that the council could make this had to be made by the holy spirit and so they're saying some decisions cannot be made organizationally or personally This decision has to be made by God, divinity. Only God can decide what someone needs or doesn't need to do in order to live holy before him. This is why, even though the culture around us has changed its definition of what is good or bad, right or wrong, the church of Jesus Christ cannot change its definition of what is good or bad or right or wrong. And it doesn't have anything to do with how we personally feel about things. It has everything to do with what has been divinely said about things. It's a divine decision. So what about that and for us part? When he says the Holy Spirit and to us, what, he's, what they're saying is the organization has aligned itself with the Holy Spirit. So the organization is going to promote and explain the Holy Spirit's decision for the group. So you have your organizational decision-making, you have your per, uh, divine decision-making, and then you have your personal decision-making. It seemed good to Silas. Silas chose where he would personally invest his life and work out his ministry. He said, this, this is where I'm going to do I, I decided to stay at Antioch. Everybody else is going back to Jerusalem. I'm going to stay here in Antioch. And that was okay. There wasn't anything wrong with it. Remember, this isn't a bad decision versus good decision. This is all good decisions, but it's made on three different levels. Why is this important? It's important because every decision carries a certain amount of weight. And when I say weight, I don't mean that you can put a decision on a scale and it's going to register how much force gravity has to pull it down. What I mean is the amount of people or the situation that 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 decision will impact. Certain decisions just carry more weight than other decisions. And when you see a young person, a young person will oftentimes be agonizing over a decision that an older person will say, well, that's not that big of a deal at all. But it is in their world. That carries a lot of weight in their world whereas a decision that an older person might agonize over the younger person might say well that's not a big deal at all different weight at different times of life so a divine decision carries the most weight it affects everybody and it's always right so it has a great level of impact the weight is is heavy Then the organizational decision, that carries more weight than a personal decision, but less weight than a divine decision, because it generally, as an organization, impacts more people than a personal decision would would impact. It's made with the information on hand. It can be wrong. Organizations can make the wrong decision. So there has to be humility and leadership. To be able to say, oh, new information has brought to light that this is not a good direction and we need to shift that direction. It also means grace is offered by those in the organization to to say, oh, mistakes can be made and we'll have grace towards that. One time I was preaching and I preached a whole sermon about Moses and the ark. (laughs) Moses had an ark, but it wasn't the one I was preaching about. And the next sermon, service, I had to get up and say, folks, I am so sorry. I know the story of Noah and the ark. I've actually read the Bible once or twice. And, and in that, I just, I just made a mistake. And I'm sorry. Forgive me. I, I did confiscate that particular recording, it wasn't heard by the world. <laughs> Sometimes organizations will make, the, make a decision, and, it, and it's not the greatest decision, and it has to be shifted so it requires faith in leaders to make a decision but then there's the personal decision and it carries the least amount of weight because typically a personal decision impacts only myself and those that i'm immediately connected with or those who love me specifically but it's fewer than the organizational decision it can be wrong it might need to be changed and it requires determination It requires personal determination to push it forward. But once you've decided, no one can stop you. You have the ability to make this personal decision. And that brings us to thought number two. That assigning incorrect weight can make a right decision wrong. Because what we tend to do as humans is really like our own ideas. We really like the way that we do something or the way that we think about it or the way that we operate. We really like those things and so sometimes we can put the wrong weight on a decision and a right decision can become a wrong decision like that. Usually it does stem from the personal decision. We, we try to bring greater influence so Brian isn't in agreement with me about what's what's going on and, and, and I'm trying to bring a greater level of influence to what a decision that has been made or a thought that I have in my life. And so instead of just saying, Hey, this is my thought, I'd like us to be in unity with that and, and let's debate this, let's discuss this, instead I come in putting more weight on the situation and on the decision than it deserves in our uh, elder meetings, administrative team meetings, pastoral meetings, oftentimes I'll walk in with an idea. I very rarely walk into a meeting without some kind of an idea or plan. And so I walk into the meeting and sometimes I say, listen, here's the idea, and, and we roll out the idea. And at times our elders, our administrative team, our, our pastoral staff will look at us and say, you know, that, that, that's well thought out, but it's wrong. Now I can I can try to put more weight on it, and say, well, whoa, 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 and, and I can try to put organizational weight or even divine weight on what's being said, or I can go in with my idea, put it before those on this team, and I, when we when when I walked in, I had my idea, but when I walk out, we have an idea. Personal decisions carry the least weight in the kingdom and in the world, but the greatest weight in our lives because they're so personal to us. So we can sometimes assign organizational weight to personal decisions. The child wants the crackers, but the parent says, no, we aren't going to buy these crackers. And so the child throws themselves upon the ground, kicking and screaming and yelling, I want the crackers, I want the crackers, until the organization changes its direction. Or until a level of correction comes into the child's life. That's the other option. What they're, what they're trying to do is impress their will and bring more weight to their decision. Sometimes you can see that in a, in a business context where uh, employees will get together and, and one employee will have an issue that applies to them personally. They will try to build a coalition around their issue to try to impress their desire upon the whole. Now, I I get in trouble a little bit talking about this because I'm not referring to unions and non-union and all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm talking about whenever somebody is trying to press their personal situation onto the whole, bring more weight than it deserves. But what's worse than bringing organizational weight is when we try to bring divine weight to personal decisions some people preface everything they say with the phrase god said and if god said then there's that's the end of the discussion because what we're doing is we're applying divine weight on what could be a personal decision there are churches in this community that that do worship music that is far more contemporary than us And then there are churches in this community that do worship songs that are far less contemporary than us. There's both sides. And if we were to say, well, God said, thou shalt sing these worship songs, what we're doing is bringing a personal preference and applying divine weight onto personal preference. Because the fact of the matter is, I don't think God cares which side of that spectrum we're on i'm gonna get hate mail this week but i don't think he cares i think he cares that it be god honoring whatever it may be but i think the other side of that is personal preference i like this or i like that when we say god said it it brings another level of weight so sometimes a strong personal preference can lead to using God said attempting the we attempting to force the we to adopt the decision or the, or the idea of the me. Remember that none of these decisions were wrong. It was okay for Silas to stay in Antioch. It was, it was fine for the letter to be sent to Antioch. It, it was great. For the Holy Spirit to say, this is what is necessary. All of these decisions were right. But it was three different levels of decision making. And when we assign incorrect weight, we create false dichotomies. We create moments when things that shouldn't be fighting against one another are fighting against one another. And suddenly, believers are fighting the wrong battles. And what could have been right for you becomes wrong because we're assigning the wrong weight to it. And that brings us to thought number three, fight the right battle. Even if you're doing an awesome job fighting the battle, if it's the wrong battle, you're going to lose the war. I was sitting in a restaurant one time in Kona. I was sitting there, and I, I don't have time to tell the whole story, but I, but I was sitting there talking with some people, and, and as I was talking to them, I was telling them that the church that we were pastoring in Kona was growing rapidly, and I said, I said it, 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 you know, statistically, it's probably one of the fastest-growing churches in the area. And there was a guy sitting in the other booth, like back-to-back back with the people that I was talking to, who I didn't know, I never met him. And he jumped to his feet. We were at Denny's. He jumped to his feet and he said, HO! Now, I'm not exaggerating it. He yelled, HO! Somebody's trying to start a holy war. That got my attention. And I was like, huh. I wonder what they're talking about at that table. And then he said, Somebody's saying that their church is the fastest-growing church in the area. When everybody knows, and he named another church in the area, that they're the fastest-growing. In fact, he said, we are the fastest-growing church in the area. And I was like, now I knew he was talking about me. I'm like, this guy I've never met standing up in the middle of dinner screaming about me. I knew the church that he was talking about. It's a great church. No problems with that church. had no idea who he was. And I wasn't saying we were the only good church in the world. I was just saying we're growing quickly. He goes on and on about how, I, how this somebody, he never names me, is starting a holy war. Finally, he went to the men's room. And I was like, oh, thank God that's over. <laughs> he came out of the men's room and started up again. And I mean, the whole restaurant is just looking at him, watching him. Finally, he and his group left. And I said, what's going on? Uh, the person I was sitting with said, do you know who that was? I said, no. They said, well, that's, that's the son of the pastor of the church that he was talking about. And I went, huh, I see. Isn't it sad that that's what the people in Denny's learned about the church that day? I can promise you, if my, either one of my sons ever stood up in Denny's or any place else and did something of that nature... You would need to pray for them. They would covet your prayers. I don't care how old they are. Married with kids, I'll raise your kids. I'll take you out. (laughs) Okay. The kingdom of heaven advances fastest when citizens fight the right battles. But moments of decision offer opportunity for fighting the wrong battle every single time. But but when we're in a faith family and we're heavily invested and we really care about what we're doing and who we're doing it with, it's easy to become inwardly focused and begin fighting the wrong battles. What are wrong battles? Uh, Wrong battles are fighting for safety, fighting for ease, fighting for practicality fighting for convenience when we work with one another here here we are working with one another we're 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 not fighting to win if we're in a debate he's playing in the key of of c right now and if i'm if i'm like no no g for jesus we need to play in g for jesus and so if we're in this conversation and we're debating back and forth whether or not you know c or g c or g the, the reality is this isn't the war that we should be fighting. Let's save our aggression for the enemy. Let's save our aggression for the right battle. What's the right battle? Fighting to populate heaven and depopulate hell. That's the right battle. Yes. Praise God. Filling heaven and emptying hell is the singular calling of the church. And it's the only battle that we are fighting everything else is a distraction populating heaven depopulating hell means allowing mature saints to get stronger and allowing new babies to be born this week i've been asked several times is mccord road christian church a seeker sensitive church and the answer to that is as it's known in culture today no We are a church that is sensitive to seekers, absolutely. But we are also here to help established people of God rise to their next level in Christ Jesus. We are rooted and relevant. And it's in every aspect of what we do. We're really saying whosoever will. If you want to follow Jesus, we want to be a place where you can follow him and get stronger and get better and see everything that he has called you to do become reality in your life. so this is why we consistently pursue unity around a singular vision it's why we bring clarity in our focus and our expectations it's why we're offering and working towards simplicity in our programming and in our language it's why we work to intensify our impact and our influence in our life and our community and in our culture all for the purpose of magnifying jesus christ so that hell will have one fewer soul And heaven will have one more. And that's what we're talking about when we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In fact, I'm going to ask you to stand with me right now. Our prayer partners are going to come forward right now. But we're going to pray this together. We've been talking about this prayer the whole whole series. But we're going to pray this together right now. And I encourage you, make it your prayer today. Let's pray our Father Amen and amen. Can we give God praise for what he's done in this hour? Praise the name of the Lord. In closing today, I've enjoyed this series. In our next series, we're going to turn the corner a little bit and we're going to talk about what it means to rest. What does it mean to rest in Christ? We can fight a battle and still live at rest in christ this week we're going to be celebrating ash wednesday ash wednesday is a historic thing that the church has done for many 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 generations it's a beautiful time even in our efforts to get more and more relevant to culture and community we can never let let go of things that have made the church great to this point so this Wednesday we'll be celebrating Ash Wednesday and I encourage you to join us in that celebration but uh, we're going to close here in a moment the singers are going to sing but if you need prayer come forward I'm going to close in prayer right now and if you need to go God bless you but Father we love you we thank you for your grace for your mercy for your goodness for who you are and for what you're doing what you're doing is blowing our minds mighty God we're asking you for one more soul in heaven and one less soul in hell We're asking you for children to come back home. We're asking you for minds and hearts to be changed. We're asking you for businesses to be revolutionized. We're asking you for provision to flow like a river. We're asking you, my God, to do what only you can do as the kingdom of heaven becomes a reality on earth, through your people, in your people. You are God and God alone. So our Father, our Father, our King, our Lord, our Savior, do what only you can do in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And let everybody say amen. Amen. If you need prayer, come forward. If you need to go, God bless you. Have a great, great day.